and welcome to episode 139 of the HHH Racing Podcast. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm your host, Howard Kravitz, and they're racing at Canterbury Park tomorrow night as we bring you a preview of the 2022 meet. I can't wait. This is going to be a fantastic show with many great guests. Please make sure you subscribe right there on the bottom right-hand side of the screen after you do that. Smash that thumbs up button. I'll tell YouTube this is a great show. And then hit that notification bell, of course, which will uh, tell you when our new shows will be coming on. Of course, on my name tag on the bottom of the screen, you can reach me through Twitter, at hkravitz. And on the scroll on the bottom of the screen, hkravitzhorse at gmail.com. Exciting shows we have this week. Again, you can see on the scroll at the bottom of the screen, tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern, we're going to be previewing the Black Eyed Susan's Day card and stakes at Pimlico for Friday. And then Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, we have Caleb Keller coming on from TVG to talk about his background and then also, of course, handicap the fantastic Preakness Day card on Saturday and the late pick five. So we are 8 p.m. Eastern, uh, Eastern time tonight, of course, Wednesday and Thursday this week. Please make sure you watch the show. Of course, you can also uh, hear us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor as well. So please make sure you check us out there. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to wait any longer. We've got a jam-packed, hour-long show with fantastic guests to talk about. i got to represent, you can see on the hat there, got to represent Canterbury Park, one of my favorite tracks in the country in Shakopee, Minnesota. We're going to have... A two-part show tonight, just to let you know. We have a lot of people watching. If you're watching, please make sure you comment on the top right-hand side of the screen. Comment any questions you have about Canterbury Park or for our great guests. Please make sure you ask them. We already have Michael Bryant from Minnesota. Uh, Michael Bryant is here watching the show. So hopefully all you Minnesotans and everyone throughout the country uh, will be watching uh, tonight and betting, of course, Canterbury Park. Let's bring on our fantastic guests. My first two guests, again, we're breaking up the show into uh, two parts. The second part of the show will be more about the handicapping of Canterbury Park. The first half will be more about general info about Canterbury. And to do that, let's bring on two fantastic people. The Media Relations Director of Canterbury Park, Jeff Madey, and track announcer, Paul Allen. Gentlemen, welcome to Canterbury Park 2022. How are we doing? Well, Jeff, Jeff's actually at Canterbury Park, so he can tell you. Things are Jeff, great. Uh, how's the facility, yeah, Jeff? Things are looking good here, Howard. We're ready. That We're doing the putting the final touches on the building, ready to welcome the fans back for another great season of racing. So best time of the year for us here. Best time of the year, hands down. Paul, I know you have a crazy work schedule. You don't have an off season, but I'm, I'm assuming this is a very exciting time of the year for you always. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, Jeff and I have worked together, what'll be 28 years now. And and when I say, you know, when you say, how's the vibe at Canterbury? And I say, well, Jeff's actually at Canterbury. That means it's probably his 12th or 13th hour because, <laughs> because I was there 2.30 to 4.30 and he was there telling Borg <laughs> and I, um, God, it's awfully loud in this press box. So, of course, we made a joke about it for about 25 minutes. Um, but uh, that that's just the essence of why I'm excited is for relationships like this. Uh, the fact that we've sustained and had big crowds and, and we've grown where other tracks haven't over nearly three decades. And, 
we we just can't thank you enough for the attention that you're giving us, Howard. Thank you. Oh man, I just I love everything about Canterbury. It's it's greatly appreciated. It's my pleasure, Paul, to have you and, and Jeff on again. Of course, we're gonna have Angela uh, Herman, Kevin Gorg on later. Uh, gentlemen, we have a lot. This I don't, I don't know if you've recognized, you know, but this podcast has exploded since you guys have been on last summer. We've had we've had almost quadruple as many subscribers. We have over a thousand subscribers. Uh, last week during uh, Kentucky Derby Week, we had over ten thousand people watching our videos and listening, of course, on Apple Podcasts. And so um, I, I was fortunate to be on TVG actually uh, a few weeks ago, and so that helped my uh, uh, my props as well. And so we have a lot of people uh, more than before watching. So it's a pleasure for me to you know bring more people on to Canterbury. So quickly, guys, because we do have a lot of new viewers and some people may not be familiar with Canterbury. Jeff, I'll have you go first. Just very briefly, tell the audience about yourself and what you do on a day-to-day basis, Canterbury. Uh, well, I've, I've been here for, as Paul said, for 28 years, I guess it is. I'm the media relations manager, so I deal a lot with uh, with that, just with that topic, you know, trying to pitch stories about Canterbury and the local media, which we've had, I think, great success. We get our, you got to remember, this is a major sports market. I mean, Paul is the radio voice of the Vikings. We've got the Twins, the Wild, uh, the Timberwolves. There's never not something going on in the Twin Cities. So for us to still get the coverage we do is great. And, you know, the Minneapolis Star Tribune and reporter Rachel Blount uh, cover racing all the time. We've got Jay Litzow with his selections in the newspaper and entries every day in the newspaper. And that's something that a lot of major markets no longer have. We've, we've had that great relationship with the Star Tribune. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that you know, we do average, we, pre-pandemic, we averaged nearly 7,000 fans per day. I mean, that's a, that's a, that, that's a solid base of fans. So uh, you know, what I try to do is just pitch stories and tell the Canterbury story as best I can. And I'm fortunate to have talented people like Paul and Gork, you know, Brian Aragoni, formerly Angela Herman, that I can send out into the field. They need someone to talk to. The media wants to talk to Paul, wants to talk to Kevin, Ange. I can give them a, you know, a first-rate guest. And that that has really helped more than anything, is that we've just got a really talented group of people that we're fortunate to work with, from the TV department to the people on the other side of the camera. Uh, it's been fantastic. And Paul, you just mentioned, of course, people, some people, you know, obviously know you from the Vikings, from KFAN. You know, you've been, you've been announcing at Canterbury for quite a long time. Was it that just brings you back year after year? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's what brought me to Minnesota when it opened in 95. And, you know, truly that was the time of my life where, you know, I had just started, I, I was in the newspaper business for five years, got fired and was just starting a racetrack announcing career. So, I mean, I'm in my mid thirties and, you know, it, I didn't go to college and, you know, I kind of was doing the gypsy trail and Canterbury really believed in me and then got together with K-Fan in 98 and gave me a home. Um, now, at this stage of my career, you know, having called 20 Viking seasons, a quarter century at K-Fan and coming up on 28 here with Jeff, um, you know, it's it's I take some days off during the summer uh, because it keeps me mentally sharp. The bosses are very gracious with that. I'm very fortunate to have Kevin Gorg as a backup announcer. I think he'd be top 10 in the country uh, if he called every single day. He's that colorful and um, and has that much of a Harry Hernandez booming type voice. Uh, but I just, you know, I love calling races. And I may be tired some, sometimes from working two and three jobs in a day. Uh, but, when you know, when it's in there racing, the, the story builds itself differently every single time. And 
I really, really enjoy that. So that that's what brings me back. I'm wondering if the first race we might hear a little AC Ducey on the front. We'll have to the, the one the one horse has got some speed at the two. So uh, actually the two is more of a closer, but maybe might finish AC Ducey in that first race tomorrow. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, let's talk about the racing uh, calendar a little bit, guys. I'm going to go ahead and bring it up, and I want both of you to comment just a bit as I go ahead and share my screen here and bring this up here for the racing dates. Jeff, there is a uh, a big decision by, uh, you know, Andrew Offerman, who does a fantastic job there. Uh, you guys have changed your uh, the days of the week that you're running. You guys can see on the screen there. Uh, Jeff, I'd like you to comment first, explain to everyone what they see. This is from the Fantastic Media Guide. And then, Paul, I've got a question about uh, the calendar as well for you. You know, the let me just jump back to the a little bit of the history of Canterbury, Howard, in that we raced for, until the pandemic, we raced Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every season that was it that was what canterbury was along comes 2020 and the pandemic and the fact that we could have very very limited fans we less than i think fewer than a thousand people could be at the racetrack so andrew and randy sampson they, they made the decision that we were going to shift away from what was traditional when we ran against all the heavy heads we hit saratoga delmar yeah we were up against everybody and we ran monday through thursday monday through thursday evenings we were one of the first tracks out of the box in the pandemic uh, to start racing again. And the people that had no idea who Canterbury Park was uh, started playing us. And we started handling over a million dollars a day, which for us was fantastic. Our average handle before that was about 600,000. So that was that exposure that we got during the pandemic. Last year, we added Sundays back because we could have fans again. And we started bringing back some of the quirky things that make Canterbury Canterbury, the bulldog races, the corgi races, those kind of things. This year, we're adding Saturday back in. And Saturday evenings where we think we can get the fans back because that that's really what made Canterbury special. I was talking to someone that visited another track uh, recently that had formerly uh, been here. And their comment was there was nobody, there were no fans at the track. And it's like, yeah, that, that's unfortunately maybe typical of racing. And, and we get kind of spoiled here. I, I've never taken our fans for granted because uh, they're what make it so much fun. But now that we can bring them back on Saturdays again, is going to make it that much better. So we're racing Wednesdays and Thursdays at 5 Central, Saturday at 5 Central, and Sunday at 1 p.m. And, Paul, you know, the, the great thing about Sundays, you have family days. You got the Twin Cities Summer Jam, which sort of is a nice little break within the season. Is there anything in particular you look forward to, Paul, as a race caller uh, that you see on the calendar or on a, on a yearly basis? Yeah, uh, Festival of Champions Day traditionally is, is my favorite day of the year. Uh, it, it's a state tournament for horse racing. It, it's later in the season. Um, and um, and generally speaking, it's just great to see people who have, have not only owned horses, but they bred them. And, and those of us who have done that or are doing it uh, know what goes into it and, and A, how costly it can be. And then B, just to get a horse from birth to winning a $100,000 race, let alone they live in Minnesota and, and they funnel the, they funnel resources into the game. So I love that. That's, um, that's absolutely my favorite day. And uh, then after that, just, you know, getting there early, maybe playing a little blackjack, maybe coming up to the press box, betting I rat on the turf, talking to Jeff, Angela, Kevin, um, uh, super stats, Dave, if he comes up, BA, whomever, uh, the Oracle, the Litza, uh, we just have a very tightly knit group at Canterbury. And um, and that could be Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, or Family Day Sunday. 
And Paul, here's what you're referring to. I, I sorry, I didn't get up on the screen. It's the uh, Saturday, September 10th. You got what six stake races, each worth a hundred thousand. Great tradition there up Canterbury, Paul. Yeah, that's uh, that's really cool with the quick twitch that you brought that up because you know when when I first got here in 1995, I came from the Bay Meadows Golden Gate Field Circuit, and and that was a time before obviously social media, obviously a lot uh, the access to what people have now was non-existent then. So the crowds at Bay Meadows and Golden Gate Fields on the weekends were not bad. On the weekends they were on the weekdays they were horrific. Uh, then then I get here. And and I'm and I'm just feeling this energy and you've seen it, Howard. You you've been there and yeah, yeah. that's just something that it's it's we don't claim to be a heritage type racetrack. You know, yeah. there there aren't a lot of families that grow up learning the past performances and you know, reading uh uh re reading the hieroglyphics, so to speak. But um they come out and they really enjoy it. And it's so different than so many places uh, around the country. Yeah, Paul, sorry, I know your face is covered up here by Christine on the bottom of the screen. I'll bring us some comments from our great fans. This is exactly what you're talking about, Christine. Totally different fan base, lots of date nights, lots of families. It's just a great atmosphere uh, out there, Jeff, isn't it? It is, you know, and Paul and I have been here so long that, I mean, I now, I remember parents, you know, certain parents bringing their kids. Now those kids yeah. are bringing their yeah. kids. So we've seen yeah. the generations grow, and that. That is and, cool. It's a lot of fun. And Je Jeffy, we also remember Doubleheader Saturdays, <laughs> where <laughs> I think we started quarter horse racing at 1230 or 1, you know, and then I'd like bet $40 to win on a horse, and it would go 9 to 1 to 9 to 5. And then we would wade in between and run a night card. <laughs> I'm not laughing, like mocking the situation. It's just fair to say, yeah. Howard, you've seen the vibrancy and how yeah. antithetical it is to all – most tracks around the country. Uh, but then on the other side of it, we've also had doubleheader Saturdays where you could shoot a cannon through that place at two o'clock and nobody would die. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> awesome. The Minnesota breads are great. I mean, I'm a little partial to the open company horses just because, you know, maybe the quality, not to take anything away from the Minnesota breads because there's some really great Minnesota breads, including one that just retired in the off season that I want to talk to you guys about, Mr. Jägermeister. But uh, obviously the, the, the big day in terms of open company is, I'm going to go full screen here, guys, is Wednesday, June 22nd. Now, last year I was there for Mystic Lake Derby Day. It's fantastic open company stakes. Jeff, I was wondering, is are you going to have Fox coverage? Uh, I know, Michelle, you was up there last year. Do you know what's happening from a national perspective to cover these great races on June 22nd this year. I'm pretty sure we're going to, Howard. I don't think it's been, I don't think we have a contract yet, but that's the plan is to get that same kind of exposure. And that, that was a fun night. And that you shared Absolutely. with us there. That was a, it was oh. a blast, just a beautiful evening and fantastic racing. Well, I, I just want to tell all my uh, viewers and people that watch out there, I, this is no promises. I'm not putting any pressure live on, on Jeff at all, but my hope is if I if we can work something out with Canterbury, I might be up there again uh, in June for that big day and possibly have a live broadcast on my channel on YouTube uh, covering the races, you know, pre-race with Kevin and Angela, possibly in front of a big crowd. We'll have to see if, if we can work that out. If not, that's obviously completely understandable, but either way, it's a fantastic day of racing on, uh, on June 22nd. Um, let's talk about the, the, the jockeys and trainers. I'm going to go ahead and, and move down to another screen here. Let me just take this off. Uh, Jeff, there's some big changes in, in the jocks room. And, 
And, and Paul, I'm sure there's some names that you're going to, you know, I mentioned one, Harry Hernandez, who's a fantastic writer. I mean, you got double H or H squared out. I, I can help you with the math porch if you want to come up with a nickname for uh, Harry. But Jeff, let's talk about the, the, the jockeys will be up some uh, changes uh, going on. Some guys are coming back. We have some people uh, that are retiring. You got Kinchari's at Prairie Meadows this year. Ryackleberry's a lone star, but you have Lindy Wade returns, who's the leading rider. Um, and then, of course, Quincy and Dean have retired. So talk about some of the new jockeys that are coming in and some of the fresh blood, because the jockey colony at Canterbury, I've always thought, is very underrated. I agree. We've always had a real good group of riders. And Ryan Eckleberry, who's now down at, uh, at Lone Star, he'll be missed. He's, he's knocking him out down there. And, you know, he may end up here at some point, but he'll certainly be missed in the room. Lindy Wade uh, had a, uh, an injury in January at Turf Paradise, so he'll be returning to the races here. And he's ex- he's excited. Paul had a good chance to talk with him yesterday. And uh, oh, great. he's excited. But so we do have some new faces. Uh, Jermaine Bridgemahan is here. Uh, he, he rode for a number of years up at Woodbine. He was down in Florida, I believe, over the winter. He's kind of hooked up with the Valerie Lundbarn. Oh, uh, wow. So that, that's that's his. That's going to be his entree into, uh, into Canterbury. Uh, so he's he's new. You mentioned Harry Hernandez. He's the third leading rider by wins in the country. And he is – it's a cool story because he's teamed up. And you talk about the Canterbury family, a jockey named Paula Bacon, who rode here in 95, uh, became a jockey agent when she retired. She called Scott – earlier in the winter and said, you got to look at this kid, Harry Hernandez. He was riding at Finger Lakes. Scott had just retired from riding as well. He's a Canterbury Park Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, and he's won thousands of races, the brother of Gary Stevens, of course. Uh, so he took a look at Harry and said, let's go. And next thing you know, there he is in Phoenix. And Harry's now the third leading rider by wins in the country. So he's going to be a great addition. Seems like a, a really cool kid, too. So th- those are, those are uh, two new faces that you're certainly – going to mention they're going to notice for sure and then we've got uh i don't know where came a third fuentes brother we had ruben fuentes we had luis fuentes last night we met miguel from fuentes so there's the three fuentes riding here they're a lot of fun too and i think they're, they're going to be really good riders who primarily worked in the southwest i know ruben went uh up to paul's old stomping ground zone rode at, rode at uh, golden gates over the winter so we've got a, yeah. a solid um colony but if you look at that list that you've got up there you're right we're missing rye uh, we're missing Dean Butler, who retired. Quincy Hamilton took a straight job, and he retired. But Negron is back. Kinchari is in Iowa. Uh, and Juarez is, did not come back either. So we've lost a number of the top riders, which means other riders look at that as a certain opportunity to make some ground here. And I think we're going to see a lot of new faces. Yeah, Paul, who do you, you who do you think you'll be calling? Uh, which shock will be calling uh, the most winners for you uh, this meet? It's going to be very competitive, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, you know, once Lindy gets everything squared away, I mean, Lindy's really good because I'm one of those people, I guess I've done it so long where, you know, I save my my resources and my focus pretty much for the spring and summer when it comes to betting and following horse racing closely outside of the Derby. Um, So really up to the pandemic, I didn't follow national racing hardly at all for a long time. So, but, you know, like everybody else, I'm quarantined and I'm learning about Bonner Park and Sam Houston and stuff like that. And, you know, I know Rye and I know he's a quality human being and a fantastic rider. And I see him and Lindy Wade just hooking up race after race at Sam Houston. Then And, and then Lindy all of a sudden is up at Canterbury next summer. So I kind of had a story with him um, and, and with Lindy. Uh, along with um, uh, Hernandez, you know, I got to make him favorite simply off the steam. I mean, 
the the kid's ridden eight years from from Puerto Rico. Come comes to Philly Park, cracks his maiden at Laurel. You know, then then he's 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 at Tampa and Gulfstream West and Gulfstream Gulfstream against Irad and up at Aqueduct um, Finger Lake. So I mean, th- this kid's twenty five years old. I chatted with him for five minutes yesterday. He's he's a self confident individual, and I like that big beautiful smile. I'd make him favored simply off the steam. Yeah, absolutely. And then you get to the trainers. I mean, I heard uh, uh, there's some great trainers that Broberg's bringing in a string. I heard Jeff. I'm going to go ahead and bring up uh, a Kyle Broberg, for those people who don't know, one of the leading trainers in the country. Of course, you have your mainstays of Mac, Robertson, and, and Diodoro. As I go ahead and uh, bring up the here's last year, if you want to comment quickly, Jeff, on the trainers that um, have been successful in the past, anyone uh, new coming in with their string. All right, Mac Robertson will have the biggest string here at Canterbury. He'll fill up a barn or a barn and a half. Uh, he's 14-time leading training cha- trainer champion at Canterbury, so he's always a force. Robertino Diodoro, if he brings a lot of horses, you know, he's spread all over the country. Uh, his horses always perform well here. Joel Burnt has many horses for uh, for the Lothenbach Stables, and Lothenbach Stables has some really nice horses, you know, Breeders' Cup-type horses. At Canterbury, he sends mostly his Minnesota breads. He's got a real nice one, though, named Love the Nest, the Minnesota bread that I think he will be able to compete nationally. Tony Rangsdorf, another guy you've got to watch. He's got a lot of horses. He's got more, a big, bigger stable. It seems like it grows every year. But a solid conditioner that puts his horses where they belong. Usually it takes a race or maybe two before they fire. But when they're, you know, when they're ready to go, I think he keeps them sharp for a long time. Harold Broberg, of course, not a huge string here. He's got horses in Iowa. And he has horses in Minnesota, but he's another guy that when he's running here, he's winning at 20, 25%. So those are some top names, but we really have a good group, a good group of trainers. Brunel Roan is a veteran that's been here forever. Stable's not as big, but they're quality. David Van Winkle as well. He's got a lot of horses. Tim Padilla. You can go down and down and just find guys that are, are really, really competitive and put their horses in positions where they can win. Paul, hey, you, uh, you were, and also, Paul. off your question about a new shooter. Um, I don't watch Turf Paradise a ton, but I'm pretty much I'm all the way through Wednesday and halfway through three quarters through Thursday. And there's this Arizona trainer named Hugo Rodriguez I'd never heard of. Um, uh, and he has some in, in the first couple of days uh, yeah. that really, really live. And he's got a fair amount of starts this year, too. So Hugo Rodriguez is a new shooter who's been a little eye opening to me. No, I think he's interesting. By the way, uh, my good friend, Jim Pilars. There you go, guys. That's the beauty of of podcasts and YouTube and spreading the word. Jim was not really, uh, you know, followed Canterbury too much. You just get people exposure. I'm not tapping myself on the back, but you just get people exposure to some of these mid-level tracks. And all of a sudden people want to bet. And speaking of betting, we have you guys for about about five or six minutes. Then we're going to bring on, excuse me, Angela Herman and Kevin Gorg. Let's talk about handle Jeff and, and some of the contests and things that you're doing you know, to try to get more players in. The handle last year was unbelievable. Paul, of course, knows this too. Had a lot of really exciting nights. Let me go ahead and bring this up on the screen. This is, of course, from a fantastic media guide. Record handle, you can see on the bottom of the screen there, over $90 million bet for the year. Uh, 1.3 million bet, sorry, on average. And then there was a, a big day. I believe that was on Mystic Lake Derby Day, uh, Three point, almost 3.8 million bet. Uh, nationwide, uh, Jeff, tell tell the fans what you're trying to do uh, to bring the to, to get the buyers excited about the meet this year. You know what, what we introduced a couple of years back, um, the 10% pick five, and not a jackpot, is traditional pick five wager. 
And that that really got a lot of attention. That's the lowest lowest takeout rate in the nation. That'll be back again this year. Uh, we also added a 10% pick four this year. You know, last year we tried to pick six, didn't have the impact uh, that yeah. we wanted. And yeah. so that that is one thing I really enjoy about the way we go about business is not everything's going to work, but we're not afraid to change if it doesn't work. And that's what we're doing here. We're adding that 10%, we call it the post-time pick four on our early pick four. I think that'll really help that pool grow. And it's a good way to just get people to start looking at the card. They look at four, yeah. why aren't they going to look at nine races, right? So and play into that pick five as well, and then bet just in the race itself. So those are those are things that really have helped us continue to sustain that handle. It was that initial exposure, I think, during the pandemic and those weekdays where we got people to see our product. You know, I and I'll put our broadcast, the quality of our broadcast and our racing up against anyone. We know we're not Saratoga. We know we're not Del Mar, but we put out a quality product that shows information to the race fans, and it was just a matter of getting that exposure now that they have it. And when we added Sundays last year, Howard, there was a lot of concern that, holy smokes, this is going to go back. You know, we're going to go back to handling 400000 on a Sunday. That wasn't the case. We were over a million dollars on Sunday. So that carryover from what we did the year before into Sunday worked. And now we're confident Saturday will as well. So that was just getting out there and getting in front of people, letting them know who we are. Well, I think the broadcast improved once you got rid of that bum, Brian Aragoni. But I'll... <laughs> just kidding, Brian. Brian doesn't watch the show anyway. <laughs> nah, Brian's a friend of mine. He's a great guy. I know, I know he sends his best, and he's going to be missed. But uh, you guys are in extremely good hands, of course, with Angela. And Kevin, Paul, I know you know there's live money contests also, Paul, that, that I participate in, I've been at. And that sort of gets the juices flowing from the betters and fans as well, doesn't it, Paul? The live money contest. Yeah, yeah. You know, Je Jeff and Jeff really has headmanned it. And, and in fact, you know, that that's well, that's one of many things to be proud of about being a Canterbury as long as we have is we, we were ahead of the curve when it comes to like Canterbury College in the late 90s and, and seminars that Jeff and I did to packed houses, teaching them to handicap. And, you know, then with the the uh, the, the contests and, and everything that that we kind of jump started there, that's part of it, too. So it's um it's you know, we're, we're innovative that way. And we have a lot of well-respected handicappers at Canterbury and off what you guys were saying about, you know, the 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 pandemic year where, you know, you got Nebraska purses skyrocketing, Will Rogers skyrocketing, Canterbury went, you know, the second level tracks, second ish level tracks. I, you know, I can't speak for the others, but off what Jeff said about Sundays, it, it, I am very, I think it's very cool that off that 2020, it's not that a ton of people nationally stuck with us, but the right people did. And they found the right races, eight, eight horses or above, or uh, the 10% with the pick four or pick five, you know, now, now that Jeff puts it that way, that's a, that's a very cool thing for us, you know, cause we, we don't have slots. Uh, we, you know, we're, we're not a heritage state for horse racing. We don't have any advantages. Uh, what we put out there, we're very proud of and very thankful for those who bet on us. I got one more quick question for each one of you guys, and then we'll bring on Angela and Kevin. We'll have all four of you on for just a little minute. A little transition there, Paul. You're in the radio business. You know how that goes. And then we'll let you guys go for the night. Uh, Jeff, can you very briefly, and we don't, I don't want to get into the legalese and the details, but um, there are some people, of course, know that you're coming up to the end of the 10-year contract with the local Sioux tribe. Can you just a little bit, uh, for people that might have a little concern about the future of Canterbury, just very briefly talk about the situation uh, going forward with Canterbury Park in terms of the, uh, the uh, purses and, and whatnot? Sure. Um, here's what I can say about that, Howard. First, I, what I would want to say is that um, we're grateful what, what 
for what the Shakopee Woodblocket and Sioux community who own and operate Mystic Lake Casino have done for horse racing. And that was a shot in the arm back in 2012 that this industry absolutely needed. It's been a partnership with them that's been beneficial for both sides and certainly beneficial for the racing industry, the breeding industry, the agribusiness in Minnesota. We, we don't have an extension yet. Um, I know that there is there are discussions going on, and I know that the best interests of horse racing in Minnesota are on the agenda of both parties. So my hope is that we can come up with something. But, you know, times have changed in the last 10 years, um, but the talks are going on. But what I do know is that we're neighbors. You know, Mystic Lake and Canterbury Park are featured attractions in Minnesota. We're neighbors. We're both in Scott County. No matter what happens, we're going to work together for the betterment of the county. And that and that's what's really come out of this is there's a bond, I think, that's formed. We've got to get the business part out of the way. We've got to try to figure out what's best for both of us, for all of us. When I say both, I should say all three of us because the industry is part of this equation. But we're going to do what's best and you know, and come up with a solution. Yeah, amplify that for a second because – Yeah, go ahead, Paul. Art. Um it, we we need we need the Shakopee Midwalkin and Zoo and and I'm I'm you know I don't you know I'm not I'm not the boss I'm not Jeff in media relations I'm the announcer so yes I do represent the track so I guess I'll be careful with what I say but I mean the relationship has been terrific for both sides but we need them when it comes to sustaining horse racing not only at this level but fortifying it off what I just said where there are countless people who had no idea we existed in 2020. Now they come back because they love it. And um, I don't, I'm not privy to any negotiations. I don't ask questions like that. I'm the racetrack announcer. Uh, but if there are chats, negotiations or whatever, you know, I just like, if somebody was watching right now, I'd be like, you know, anything we can do to find a way to keep this bad boy together. Uh, from a horse racing standpoint and, and a Mystic Lake Casino, Shakopee, Midwalkin and Sioux standpoint. It's been an awesome relationship. And I've gotten to know so many people with Mystic Lake Casino. I never knew. And they're fantastic. And they love the uh, the, the the quilts after the Mystic Lake Derby and the mile and, and the Indian horse relays and just, just so many beautiful things to the partnership. I really hope it extends. Well, I hope it will, too. And, uh, you know, it's cool because you, there's a concert. You guys are extending out. Uh, to have some concerts, I know just beyond the track, you built things are being built. Uh, it's really becoming an entertainment destination um, in the sports community. I mean, everyone knows the Twin Cities is a great, you know, uh, great fan base, and the you know the, the T Wolves are on fire. I mean, the things are rock and roll, and the Twins are off to a great, you know, start. I mean, everything is going real well. We want to keep that momentum going. Paul, last question before I let you and Jeff go. Paul, you got a best bet tomorrow. Who do you like in the first yeah. race? Paul, let's give people a winner in the first race tomorrow, Paul. Yeah, I mean, we we, we can handle the first if you want, but, you know. Yeah, first race. Who do you like? Yeah, quickly, uh, before you bring the kids on, yeah. uh, we, first race for show and uh, sixth race for dough. So, okay. number one, uh, welcome to the winner's circle, Luis Fuentes for Joel Burnt. I got Joel on about four winners through the first two days already. So, number five, Street of Dreams wins race number one. Race okay. number six. You know, when we were talking about those Canterbury trainers, we didn't mention Nevada Litvin, a trainer with whom I won a couple of races with Starship Impulse in 2019. So in Nevada, I believe in Nevada Litvin, race six, number three, college party at about four to one. There you Let's go, Paul. It's on the screen. The There's season. college party for you. Start the season making a thousand dollars. Wow. And you got and in the first race, you got the five, correct? You said. Yeah. Let's bring that up for the fans so they can see. So right. everyone can get off to a great start. 
And, and if you lose, you can throw your tickets and help in the booth at Paul Allen. There you go. Street of Dreams, Joel Burnt. This horse looks really tough. Has some prep races that, uh, at Turfway, so, so the conditioning is going to be there, Paul, for sure. Yes, Correct. sir. And, and if you look at Derby Day or really the Keeneland season and early Churchill Downs, um, yeah. generally speaking, I will take a stand against um, uh, New Orleans horses or Louisiana horses and Ooh. or Turfway Park. Um, and I had I had for a while, and it had been pretty good. Uh, those fairgrounds horses went up to Keeneland and Churchill and just chewed it up. I mean, just chewing them up. Turfway, too. So I'm going to keep that in mind early at Canterbury, where through the first day and a half, you know, I, I got a fair amount of Turfway and fairground chippers. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that with uh, Angela and Kevin. It's really important you pay attention to these shippers coming in and see how they run. Uh, Jeff Madej. And Paul Allen, let's go ahead and bring on some of your counterparts before we let you go. You can say uh, hello to them and, and you can transition. Let's bring on two fantastic analysts from Canary Park. You're going to see them all meet long on the simulcast feed. Angela Herman and Kevin Gore. Guys, how are you doing tonight? Hello. How are you? Hey, Howard. Kevin, how are you tonight, sir? Um, yeah, Kevin, it's good I'm to very, see you there. Very excited. It's yep. like Christmas Eve. Can't wait to get <laughs> I'm ready for the meet. Just very excited. You know, it's, uh, it's, I just listened to you guys break it down. Uh, PA originally one of my plays for tomorrow night in college party. That's how we, we do it out there. So four to one just became five to two, but we're going to cash and have a hell of a good time. <laughs> well, let, let me, before I leave, let me share why I took college party. Now I originally did take the horse when I handicapped Wednesday, Wednesday <laughs> but we're having a, we're having a PGA golf draft and we're handicapping Thursday together in the Canterbury press box. Kevin and I are so excited. We're yelling. Jeff's in 19 meat grinders. He says, it's awfully loud here. And I go, okay, Eeyore. And, and then we did our golf draft, but I was in the TV studio preparing something new tomorrow night called the chaser. What we're going to do into the final thoroughbred race. I'm going to be the chaser. Uh, and I saw Kevin's power play boldly right there. College party. And I'm like, when I join Howard tonight, I'm going to snipe the hell out of that horse. All right, all right, hey, Paul, what's going on here, Paul? What, what's this about? Well, it's, you know, it's it's widely known around the country, staffing problems. Um, <laughs> really riddling America. No, it's, uh, that has nothing to do with it. Actually, Ross and his facilities team are fantastic, specifically the way they waxed the announcer's floor the other day. Um, but that, that's just kind of tradition. Uh, Man, that turf looks good, guys. That turf looks that turf looks great, Paul. Oh, it's unbelievable. But I, I like to clean the windows, so you know when I start ringing them up on the far turn, like they're going to win by five and they finish third, everybody can hear it nice and uh, sweetly. So I can see it nicely. Perfect. Uh, Paul Allen, Jeff Miday, I love talking to you guys. I look forward. Hopefully, I'll see you in June. But either way, it's been a real pleasure to have both you guys on, and, and good luck in the 22 at Canterbury meet. Thanks guys. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Howard. All yep. right. Take care. Have a great yeah, night. Thanks for the attention. Absolutely. Take care, Paul. <laughs> All right. Angela and Kevin, uh, Angela, you've been on the show, uh, the show before really a real pleasure to have you on again. I think last time we spoke, you were in Florida, if I recall, uh, Kev Kevin, I've, I've met you at Canterbury. But it's the first time uh, on the show. So welcome to the HHH racing podcast. Really appreciate both you guys uh, coming on. Uh, let's talk about, again, real quickly, we have a lot of new uh, viewers, Angela and Kevin. I was talking to Jeff and Paul how this podcast has exploded since you guys have been on. We have almost quadrupled the number of uh, viewers. I had the pleasure of being on 
uh, TVG uh, with Todd Shrupp a few weeks ago uh, at the Keeneland meet, and that sort of gave me some more exposure. Uh, plus, we have some new co-hosts, and everything's just going fantastic for the show, so I'm so happy to have you guys on. Let's talk a little bit for the new fans, Angela and Kevin, your roles at Canterbury Park. Angela, I'll go ahead and, and start with you, please. Okay. I'm at Canterbury actually year-round. I work in the mutuals department on uh, the weekends because I'm school too, but I've been doing on-air hosting in the winter circle for the past couple of years. So some of the quirks, some of the quirky little productions that we do, all the promos that we do for marketing, I've been doing that. A little bit of handicapping in between, but uh, I actually have worked there for 18 years and on day one of my 18-year stint, I got two autographs. One of them just left the chat, and the other one is sitting over there with the white hat on. Wow. They looked at me in disbelief when I came up to get their autographs, and now we have been friends ever since. And uh, what you just saw with those two when, and the college party interaction, that's the press box every day at Canterbury when those two are in there. So you get an idea of what I'm in for this summer. I meant, I meant Kevin, maybe I should ask you, who, who's who's got Roy McIlroy this weekend? That's my that's my pick. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's, Kevin, can you... he's a top five pick. I think Scheffler deserves to be the favorite, but Rory McIlroy is in awesome form. To your point, he comes off a second at the Masters and a fifth at the Wells Fargo. He's a PGA champion. Uh, can't yeah. can't argue with Rory McIlroy at around, what, 15 <laughs> to 1? So in horse racing terms, yeah. you know, if it pays $33.20, that's a pretty good mutual. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big overlay, as we like to say in the horse racing world. Kevin, tell everyone about yourself a little bit for us, our new viewers who are not familiar with uh, Canterbury Park. Well, I just finished my winter meet. Angela knows it well. She's a big Minnesota Wild fan, and I've been lucky enough to work with uh, the TV network that covers the Minnesota Wild since 2006. It was Fox Sports North. Yes, the K-Train now works for Valley Sports North. And then I got my start at Canterbury way back in the year 2000. Uh, the job opened up for, for TV analyst, and I was a lifelong fan. I had been introduced to horse racing in 1985 when Canterbury uh, Downs opened up. And so I had a little background and a, and a minor in sports broadcasting. So I threw my name in the hat. Johnny the Mouse Mickelson, actually, who runs our TV department, does an awesome job, interviewed me. I got the gig. I did it for 10 years and loved it. In 2010, after that season, uh, my role at the TV station I, I worked uh, covering the Wild expanded to me covering the Twins. And so I left after the 2010 racing season. Lucky enough, timing-wise, a year or two later, picked up the tip sheet business. When when Jake Maurer, Joe Maurer's grandpa, retired, I took over and ran the tip sheet for the last 10 years, did that. And now when Brian Aragoni uh, jumped off to uh, Horseshoe in Annapolis, I'm back in the role I had back in 2000, Wild in the winter horses all summer and uh it's a labor of love i love um i love canterbury it's got a part of my heart out there no question about it and now uh, to work with Angie, we've, we've always been friends we've always talked horses but <laughs> our two jobs kind of coincided in different places when i when i left she took my job and now i'm back and we get to work together and honestly yeah. uh, she's a dear friend and i have a ton of respect for her skills as a a handicapper and I'm really looking forward to uh to working with her on a daily basis for years to come it's it's going to be a lot a lot of fun I feel like saying oh <laughs> that nice yeah, uh, you know what I, I think I think it's <laughs> I think it's great when tracks bring on you know local people in the community I mean of course there's there's there are fantastic people throughout the country that could you know that can I'm sure do a wonderful job but the fact that you guys are local Minnesotans you know the area you know the people know the community I think that really adds a nice 
a nice touch to it. Let's go ahead and talk about now. The reason why I have, of course, these two great people on, folks, is because people are listening and they want some winners starting tomorrow night. So let's <laughs> let's dive a little bit into the handicapping aspects of Canterbury Park. Paul and Jeff already touched on it. There are a lot of horses, of course, coming from different circuits, guys. Angela, I'm gonna let you go ahead and first. I know we have horses coming from. Tampa Bay, Oaklawn, Turf Paradise, really all over. Is there a specific circuit, Angela, that you think has more success at Canterbury, especially earlier in the meet, or a circuit that you're going to be focusing on when you look at the PPs and say, ah, this horse has a bigger shot perhaps because of where they're coming from? I'd say probably Oaklawn is the one that I hone in on the most, but I think a lot of people do too. So I think that more so than the horses from each circuit, because this year – it seems to have been pretty fair. There's not any outstanding like weather that caused major disruption in Oakland's meet this year or anything anywhere else that prevented a lot of training, good shipping and everything like that. I would say follow the connections most that you followed over the winter and catch them at a price up here if you can. Like people don't know Harry Hernandez yet. So if I see Harry Hernandez on a live horse over about three or four to one, I'm going to bet him because he moves horses up. Whereas I don't think if, if you don't know him, they're just not going to bet him yet. People will catch on to that as the meet goes on and they'll catch on to what circuits working and things like that. So I follow more of the humans and the horses themselves rather than whether they come from one circuit or the other and gauge value on that. So I don't think that there's any one track that I follow, but if I had to choose one, it would be a one. Kevin, any thoughts on what Angela just said? Oh, I can't argue it. I, I think the human connections at Canterbury have always mattered. And for the regular fans out there, knowing that Mac Robertson points to this meet, knowing that Robertino Diodoro points to this meet, these are mainstays that battle for trainer championships every single year. That matters. The Harry Hernandez thing absolutely is a great angle <laughs> because a lot of people don't watch Turf Paradise. And a lot of people that bet Canterbury haven't seen him at our racetrack. And watching Turf Paradise, uh, he's phenomenal. I look for Tampa shippers especially early in the season on the turf. I think our turf course offers the best betting value. You see bigger fields. You see better uh, chances for upset. And I, I think the turf racing at Tampa in the winter is as good as any. Now, again, is it Keeneland? Probably not, but it's the next best thing. We don't get a lot of Keeneland shippers here or Churchill shippers for that matter, but we get a ton of Tampa Bay down shippers. And when they're on the turf, I pay extra attention. Well, uh, two things, Kevin, I don't know if you saw. We have another, Kevin, the, the, the K-Train fans are out uh, for Kevin Gorg from from Kevin <laughs> Sippy there. You see at the bottom of the screen there, Kevin, just want to make sure you saw that. Kevin That's Sippy, awesome. thanks for joining the show. Uh, and by the way, speaking of Keeneland, the, I believe he is the all-time leading uh, money winner now. I think he passed Mr. Jigam as her hotshot kid. Uh, did win at about 15-1 to at Keeneland. Uh, earlier this fall, knocked the hell out of me out of that pick five that day. But I was so happy when I saw that horse. I'm assuming uh, a hotshot kid is running tomorrow, correct, Kevin? Yes, he is. And when he won that race at Keeneland, he had offered no real form. Like, he had always been no. a horse for a course here at Canada. Tell me about and it. And so <laughs> it caught all of us off guard at Keeneland. And he is one of those old, you know, game horses that when he's feeling good, He'll have some pop in the stretch. And on that day at Keeneland, he did. And I don't love him tomorrow on opening night, but you have to respect him because, like I said, if he's feeling good, he'll fire. We'll talk about that. You know, I meant to ask Jeff. I don't know if either one of you know the answer to this question. Mr. Jacob Meister, one of my favorite horses, I believe now the second leading all-time leading money winner in Minnesota, was actually running very well. Unfortunately, had to be retired. Are you guys going to have a special day 
uh, for Mr. Jägermeister. This means, are you aware of any plans for him specifically? A retirement party or anything? Have you heard? Haven't heard. Okay. Haven't I'm heard. Just, I, was, I would guess, honestly, down the road, there might be a stakes race with his name on it. I That would not surprise me. And I'm certain, uh, you know, Andrew Offerman's uh, been working tirelessly to get this meet ready and, and up and running, get enough horses here, get the barns full. But once we settle yeah. into the meet, that, that will be uh, part of the conversation. I do know his full sister is racing, I believe, on Saturday as these races okay. start to run together. Angie knows when you start to handicap multiple cards how that works. <laughs> But that would oh, yeah. that would not surprise me if there's a race in his honor. He was such a special horse, and and obviously all our, our fans in shock if he just loved watching him run. Oh man, yeah, he, it wouldn't he could, surprise me if they go ahead. Sorry. No, I was <laughs> just say he could drop twenty one and forty four in a heartbeat, Angela. That real fast, nice horse. Go ahead, Angela. Oh, it just wouldn't surprise me if they named the Ten Thousand Lakes after him someday. He's one of the fastest Minnesotans that we've ever seen, and the Ten Thousand Lakes doesn't really have much affiliation besides the state, so it wouldn't surprise me. That'd be very cool. Uh, let, let's help our betters out, especially uh, some new betters that we'll have to Canterbury Park. Um, every every track has its quirks, right? Every track has its nuances. Uh, Angela, I'll let you go first. Any biases that you see early, earlier in the meet? Now, I know last year on the turf. Well, first of all, let me say this before we get into bias. I have a special, Canterbury, mm-hmm. special place in my heart. It was the first, uh, Kevin, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I wrote for In The Money Media last year. I, I cover, I was their national handicapper for Canterbury Park for the blog. So I covered Canterbury Park like a glove last year. I'm not doing that this year, but I'll be still, of course, watching and betting Canterbury Park. And that led me to a, I think it was sixth place finish in the Big Ten Challenge contest at the end of the year, which then led me to the BCBC, which led me to become a big live money player. And so anyway, I'm always going to have a a soft spot in my heart for Canterbury Park. So Angela, let's talk about bias. Last year, uh, I thought the turf... It was, it was really hot, actually, and dry uh, the early part of the year last year. I thought the turf was a bit speed-favoring, and I don't want to give off the impression that there's, like, huge bias every year and people should avoid Canterbury. I'm not saying that at all. But in general, Angela, let's talk about the turf first. How does it play in general? What do you look for on the turf? In general, I think it plays to speed, and it, it has been not as hot and dry this year. It's been very cold, but it's yeah. still been relatively dry. And last year, that was a problem. I mean, they had to constantly water the course. They did a great job with the weather they were handed. But people, I think, are just naturally inclined to play closers on the turf more, or they see a bigger field, they anticipate more pace, and a horse will end up sneaking away on our turf course anyway and just beat 11 horses from start to finish. So I wouldn't say that that's a bias in any sort of like problem with maintenance, but it's one of those things where if it is hot and it is dry and it is windy, because it's always very windy, that it's naturally just going to be a firm turf course most of the time, and that's going to play well to front runners. And like Kevin said, you get some horses from Tampa or something that may have their cloud form or their form clouded because a lot of really good horses even come over from Gulfstream because of the condition of their turf, and they'll darken a horse's form into not only a bad finish but uh, slow being slow early when they're just chasing high quality horses. They end up on the front end of Canterbury and they pull upsets. So I just, I would be more forgiving of horses who ran on tougher circuits on turf when they come up here and they showed a little bit of early pace because this turf course is going to be much more friendly to them. I think that's an excellent point. Uh, we got Michael S's here. Uh, Kevin, wondering if you're still doing those $2 uh, tip sheets on the bottom of the screen. I got a great tout. 
this show's all about touts, right? Well, we've got to, obviously I've, <laughs> I've rotated back to the TV department, so I'm no longer doing the tip sheet, but the guy that that's taken over for me is, his name is Superstats Dave, and he works at Target Center uh, during the basketball season, helping out courtside with the Minnesota Timberwolves. He's an outstanding handicapper, and he's making his debut this week uh, with the tip, tip sheets. Dave's faves will be the title of it, so it's going to have a little bit of a different look. Uh, he's qualified for numerous national handicapping contests. The guy is razor sharp. He's one of those guys that always seems to find his way to the big pick five scores every summer at Canterbury. So he's he's a guy you're going to want to track. He'll be doing the tip sheet. And then to, to piggyback on what Angie was saying, I think on our turf course, there's there was a significant speed bias when it was dry. When it's lush and green and there's some moisture in there, I think closers have a much more fair chance in the stretch. But the one thing I've always talked to people about at Canterbury is our turf course is unique. Dark Star taught me this years ago, the late great, uh, rest his soul, just an ambassador and Hall of Famer at Canterbury. But the hairpin turns really make it difficult because we run a ton of races at a seven and a half furlong distance on the grass or a one mile dis distance on the grass. And the outside posts are really compromised more so. Again, post always matters in route races, especially on the turf. But you can magnify that two or three times at Canterbury. I think it, it is even more of a handicap if, if you're pinned outside the six or seven hole because of the way our turf course is configured. You know what I like about that, Kevin, is that if they have the outside post, I've noticed those jocks, they have to send and get position, which I think creates a more fair pace situation because I'm really sick of seeing, you know, uh, 25 yep. and 49 to the half in, in some of these turf races throughout the country that seem to be run more like European <laughs> races. But at, at Canterbury, you got aggressive jocks. They know they have to get position on that first turn. You see some honest fractions, which does allow the closers once in a while to to come. So I like that as well. You brought up the late pick five. Uh, there's a the 10% takeout, fantastic. If you are not familiar with the takeout rate at Canterbury, lowest in the country, uh, and there's a, a new early... Uh, pick four at 10%. Kevin, talk a little bit about that wager and how you'll be attacking that in general. Well, I love the post-time pick four because I think you're going to have a built-in advantage if you come to Canterbury early. You know, we're going to be racing Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday at 5 o'clock, so kind of an awkward time, especially during the work week on Wednesday and Thursday. And so you're, I think if you're a regular player of Canterbury, if you're coming out to watch the racing live and in person – that post-time pick four is an outstanding way to build your bankroll early in the race card. It's a 50-cent bet with that 10% takeout, about half what you see uh, throughout the industry. I'm really excited about it because we generally are going to run a lot of turf races, especially later as the as the light shrinks. And, again, we're already getting to the point where it's going to be the, the peak of how late the sun is out here in the cornfields and in the Twin Cities. It goes the other <laughs> direction. So keep an eye on the turf races early in the card, big fields, big opportunity there. And I love having a chance with race one to build, again, some of those wagers where you can build a bankroll early on. Like I look at Saturday, guys, on Preakness Saturday. I'm going to want to be fully loaded uh, for what lies ahead on that on that card. I want to get that, that pick four out early and, and crush that thing. And with a 10% takeout, there's a lot of reasons to do it. Well, and the late pick five is always a challenge. I'll tell you, especially the turf races, they're 11, 12 horse fields eventually. Now, Angela, you know, let's be fair. I mean, <laughs> racetracks are struggling throughout the country with, with field sizes. I know the field sizes are always fantastic. Canterbury might be a little bit down until um, Hawthorne in Chicago ends in the middle of June. And I think some more horses, from what I understand, might be coming up from there as well. But even before then, 
the late pick five is always a very challenging sequence with with big fields, especially on the turf. And those five furlong turf sprints, oh my, those can be real clusters, can't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and like Kevin had mentioned, with the turns on our turf course and how often we have the rails out, I mean, we, we don't always just go to 10. Sometimes our rails are at 30. And when you're looking at a turf course that could be this wide or could be like this, and you only have five furlongs, uh, that's where, again, I kind of lean towards speed a little bit because even if you have a great closer on, on the turf, if you have this much room to work with and you have a 10 horse field, you got to get really lucky to come from off the pace. So if I see a heavy favorite that's a dead closer, that's the kind of race I want to dive in on. And if they are involved, even in that overlap sometimes between if we do a, an early pick four and a late pick five, that's the kind of race I'm going to hone in on. And he nailed it with the early pick four. One of the complaints sometimes that you get from people is that our late pick five didn't have enough turf races in it because we don't have lights on our turf course. But the early pick four lowering the takeout kind of absolves that issue to a degree. And I think it's going to be an excellent wager with very competitive fields. And like Kevin said, it stays light till, you know, at the, at the best, like even like 8 o'clock, 8.30, you can run turf races. So you can still run them fairly deep into the card. Guys, mm-hmm. before we very briefly dive into the last two races, the stake races, I know Jeff and uh, Paul briefly talked about trainers and jockeys. And um, if you guys are willing to go on an extra five minutes or so, that'd be great. Very quickly, Kevin, jockeys or trainers, whether they're coming back or new, who do you have your eye on in particular in this meet? Well, there's no doubt Harry Hernandez for all of us handicappers uh, will be exciting to see how he plays it out here the opening couple weeks and which trainers are going to go right to him, which are going to kind of move along. I, I was just looking at a race, uh, Howard, when we were getting ready to come on the air here that featured two Diodoro horses, and Lindy Wade was his go-to guy last year, and he's on one of them. Hernandez is on the other. And I like the yeah. Hernandez horse, who happens to be Lone Speed on Saturday, so I'm like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him a shot here, even though I know that – Lindy Wade's the go-to guy. I thought Quinones last year, uh, Alonzo, was unbelievably good. And, and I think the Tim Padilla barn, which for years I think got overlooked, in the last couple of years has taken big leaps. And with that, I think the, the rider has had a lot to do with it. Quinones is his go-to guy. Some of those horses that come in from Tampa for Pete Madsen. I mean, last year, if you were betting that barn for Pete Madsen with that jockey, you absolutely crushed. Because they, they didn't only win for size, but they won it. At, at big prices. And so I'll keep an eye on that one for sure. The Fuentes boys, there's going to be three of them. Uh, kind of <laughs> like it's our mini version of the Ortiz brothers. I'm going to keep an eye yeah. on how that goes because that's always a friendly competition and they all can ride them up fair and square. So that's kind of what I've got my eye on for people that are new to Canterbury. Love up Harry Hernandez for sure. Uh, and then I think keep an eye on Quinones. I think he's a, a hidden jewel. Angela? Yeah, I think he nailed probably two of well, two that will be in the top five, I think, probably heading well into the season as long as they stay healthy. But to to add on to the Lindy Wade thing, a lot of mounts that probably would have gone his way later in the meet due to the surgery that he had, at least some of them went the way of Harry Hernandez. And like he, he moves horses up. So in, through no fault of his own, I think that Lindy Wade might lose some horses that he would typically ride up here to him. And they're going to be incapable hands either way. So that might make more of a presence for Turf Paradise horses early in the meet. I'm interested to see how Jermaine Bridgman does up here because he's ridden so, so many I. different places. Yeah. I, I know that he can adapt quickly to tracks, but I would say maybe give him the first month to adjust to how he interacts with other riders, how he rides the course, and how he adjusts here and who he's getting mounts for besides like a Valerie Lund and see how he fits into this jocks colony. 
Uh, I, I'm going to give him a little bit of time before I dive in on him, but I think you're going to see a lot of the same faces in the winner's circle with similar connections like Alonzo Quinones and Tim Padilla early on. Well, I know Angela knows this, Kevin. I'm not sure you know this. I live about 20 minutes north of Arlington Park. Jermaine Bridgeman rode Arlington, and once he understood the poly track, mm-hmm. boy, he was very good. So that is a very underrated rider. I definitely – and by the way, Angela, can we give a shout-out to Kelsey Haar also and some of the fantastic female yeah. jockeys? And I and I saw on Twitter, I believe there is an apprentice female jockey. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I can't remember her name, but I actually followed her because I saw her. She – she, uh, put a she liked the uh this podcast tonight can you just shout out to kelsey hard some of the fantastic female riders also canterbury yeah i'll see you soon kelsey i see her every day when i go into the winner's circle she is one of the kindest people you'll ever meet there very good to be around and she and uh, bob klein team up with some good prices throughout the season so definitely she killed it at oakland she had some good winners at oakland yeah and she works them she knows these horses like the back of her hand i mean these are horses that she's not just getting on what for a couple of minutes in the afternoon. I mean, she knows how to get the best out of them. And I believe her name is uh, Sophia, but she goes by Sophie Barandella. Um, she's going to be up here for the first time. And I know that That's she her. took a lot of mounts down there and she came in at some prices. If it wasn't on top, it could have been underneath and she'll get opportunities up here and she'll probably be overlooked. So don't forget about her. Once she adjusts to things up here, I think that she might have a, an opportunity just like Kelsey to add some prices into the mix. Kevin, I see you're shaking your head. I mean, it's unfortunate sometimes female riders get the short shrift in terms of the mounts they get and the talent. But, you know, just like her, I mean, take a look at what's going on in the West Coast this year. I mean, these girls can ride and you're going to get prices and you you need to take a very careful look at at all the jockeys at, at Canterbury. Well, you're talking to a father of three girls and a guy that coached women's college hockey at the University of St. Thomas for a decade. So I'm all about girl power. I'll tell you that right now. And like Angela and like Johnny the Mouse Mickelson, who's a little smitten like a kitten <laughs> on park on Kelsey Har. Sorry, Kevin, you're go- I don't know if Angela, if you're going in and out a little bit, Kevin. I mean, maybe it's your internet or perhaps, but anyway, we'll, we'll do the best we can in your last five minutes. Guys, let's go ahead and talk about uh, very okay. briefly the, the, uh, race seven and race eight tomorrow so not only can people hit the late double but it's gonna be an all stakes late double i'm gonna go ahead and bring up the pps and we'll bring it up and angela i appreciate i know you sent pics through the email uh so i appreciate that let's go ahead and guys bring up race seven very quick angela let you go first the pps are gonna be on the screen angela is going five three two in race seven let me make this a little bigger so everyone can see there we go. Race seven is the, these are both for state breads, the six furlongs. Race seven is going to uh, happen about 9, 10 Eastern Standard Time uh, tomorrow, 8, 10 local there in Shakopee, Minnesota. It's, again, three-year-olds and up, state breads for the males, 50K in the kitty. It's the 10,000 lakes. Angela, you like the five on top here. One of my favorite horses from last year and a great name for Tim Padilla and Quinones, the alligator hunter. Yes, yes. Pete Matson typically involves his grandchildren in the naming of his horses. And uh, actually, astronaut Oscar and the alligator hunter both fall in line with that. And the alligator hunter, uh, as you can see, got disqualified out of a win going a mile. That was the first time that he tried such a thing. But he got a little just goofy and quirky. And he started moving around in the stretch as opposed to not as opposed to running straight. And Alonzo Quinones had a heck of a time with him in the Minnesota Derby, too. There was a long inquiry then. And then in the Minnesota Sprint, 
things just completely fell off. That was too bad of a race to be true, to be representative of what he can do here. So what did they do? What you should do with any male if they're not focused on their job, they cut him, they gelded him before they brought him back at Tampa. Now he didn't Jeez. win that day, he ran up the track, but he showed his typical early speed. He burst away at the head of the stretch and going six furlongs, I think that race sets him up well. He drew to the outside of Prince Rama he drew to the inside of Astronaut Oscar, and I thought that maybe those two could put him in a good spot, probably sitting third or fourth just behind them early, and maybe he can go back to that form that he showed when he came up here last year in the beginning, when he won that optional claimer against Open Company, and then when he won the Vic Myers. I look for a rebound. I'm not counting on three to one, but I think that he'll show much better what he can do against his state-bred brothers in this spot. And uh, Kevin, or sorry, I was looking at the next race. Kevin, who do you like in this race? I think Hanch has got the the right horses. I was torn between uh, the two, Dame Plata and the five, the Alligator Hunter. I'm a big, big fan of the Alligator Hunter. My only concern would, would be, you know, he's got one race of foundation this year, ran well at Tampa, showed speed going at seven furlongs, where Dame Plata has the, the foundation of three consecutive races at Will Rogers Downs, including... Last time out, just a, a really impressive visually uh, to watch stakes win against $51,000 stakes company. Bravo is one of the best trainers at Canterbury year in and year out. I think Dame Plata has the fitness edge, and I think that'll matter late in the stretch. I think those are absolutely the top two horses, and it looks like an exact race where you're probably not going to get paid big money, but you're probably going to cash if you box the two and the five. Well, I don't, I don't mean to contradict my wonderful uh, guests here, but I, I'm a little bit interested in Zoe's Delight. I know that this horse is coming off a layoff, but there's a lot of speed on the inside, and this is Lindy Wade. He's been trading lights out. Now, I don't know if the track is, is – obviously, the track is fast. How about a breeze in 58-3? and three? I mean, I know that dirt course can be fast sometimes, but I like the horse. He's been working well. Uh, I like Tony Rangsdorf, excellent trainer for Lindy Wade. This horse has numbers that can, that absolutely fit, and I think he's going to get a good trip for you know Winchester Place Thoroughbreds. Now he's got to be ready off the layoff, but I think the seven is a bit interesting in this spot. And we didn't, of course, uh, mention really Hotshot Kid. We got to throw him uh, some some uh, props. Angela is the leading uh, money winner in the history of Minnesota racing. He's now eight. Do you think he's just maybe not quite as good as he used to be and will have to come from too far back perhaps in this spot? I don't know if he's not as good as he used to be. He's just not as consistent as he used to be. And like Kevin pointed out, last year when he ran that race at Keeneland and got up by a neck of 14 to one, it surprised all of us. Normally we would be on board yeah. with that, but he just had shown nothing resembling his former form when he was up here last summer. He's kind of gone back to that pattern at Oakland and, you can forgive it. It's Oakland. But if he's really going to be in the 9-2, to 4-1 to one range, which he very well could be because it's Mac Robertson in a Minnesota bread race, I don't think that that's proper value. So in throwing in my top three, I used Dame Plata that Kevin mentioned, the Alligator Hunter, and Warrior Boss between them. And if you're going to take a horse from off the pace, like Hotshot Kid will, you're going to get at least twice the price on the horse you see on the screen, who didn't miss a check last year up at Canterbury except for one mile race on the turf. Yeah. And he was never lower than five to one. So if you're looking for value to throw in there, I'd say you get a lot more with him than you would out of Hotshot Kid. And you might get a similar race out of the two of them. To touch on Zoe's Delight, it looked like he blew the doors off Bayou Benny in a workout. Both of them went the same distance the same day. Maybe that's what prompted them to put him in this spot. 
but he's a hard horse to find spots for. And I'm thinking that maybe they're setting their sights down the road for the Blair's Cove, yeah. maybe even the Wally's Choice, just longer races that I think are uh, maybe the, the long-term targets for Zoe's Delight. And this is just a spot that fits at this time of year. Yeah, you know, that's an excellent point. My, th- that's why it's great to get insight from Angela and Kevin, because this might just be a prep for something else later on down the road. Guys, let's go to the last race as we go ahead and, and end the show, and I appreciate you guys staying on for a few extra minutes. Uh, we got we to gotta get the fans the late double here. Uh, the Lady Slipper, this is the female version of, of course, 50,000 state breads, uh, three and up. Uh, Kevin, who are you going on in the uh, last race of the day to close out opening day tomorrow night? Yeah, Howard, I was really, really torn in this race because I cashed a nice bet back on December the 1st. If you look at Molly's Angel, uh, when she got down to Tampa Bay, and I mentioned how much I love Padilla and Quinones, and I caught her that day at nearly 19 to 1. It was a seven furlong race. It was a six-horse field, so she really impressed me in that in that effort right there. Came back, uh, ran a couple of good route races, including a win last time out back on uh, January the 29th. I just think six furlongs might be just a little too short, and I don't see a ton of pace in this race. But I, I really, at six to one, was intrigued by Molly's Angel. I'm going to try to get her into the gimmick, specifically the exact and trifecta. As I handicap the race, I just don't see any front speed. And, and we talked about the turf course and how it plays. The other thing I've known uh, playing Canterbury now for the better part of 37 years is the main track always favors speed. And like a lot of dirt tracks, speed is king. And clickbait, Cecily Evans for Matt Robertson, should mare at a route distance. She's not nearly that fast at a, a distance of six furlongs. I don't see anybody that wants to go with clickbait. And lone speed is lethal. Not going to get a great price. It's seven to five. Maybe with Evans in the saddle, that price jumps up because the fans are a little gun-shy to bet her. Uh, but I'm going to trust Mac here. I'm going to try to get the 6-3 exacta. And then as a backup, I'll throw the four in there too. Obviously, she can get second. But I think the six is long gone. Yeah, we should have mentioned Cicely Evans, of course, with a great uh, jockey colony uh, and the female riders there. It looks like it's a two-horse race, Angela, probably between the four ready to, to you know run away uh, and the six. Are you going to one of those two uh, Robertson horses also on top? I know, I know. I use clickbait on top, and I just think that, well, ready to run away, you know, they're both six now, but ready to run away has shown in the past that maybe she does a little bit better as she goes on in her season. Maybe she needs a race or two to get cranked up, and they didn't start her at all at Oakland this year. So ready to run away still has that long layoffs in September, which I think will affect her more than her stablemate clickbait. Clickbait has run very well fresh in the past. She won first time out. She's run well enough at Oakland where maybe they figured she didn't even need that race this year. I would just say for this point of their seasons and at this distance, I give the nod to clickbait. And as far as the Pete Madsen horses go, now I sent you six, one, and four, I believe, earlier. Owen's Pleasure has been running out at parks, not a usual spot where you would send a horse, Madsen horse, but Owen's Pleasure has run very well out there. She's run seven, a mile and 70 as well. I think that of his two horses, she might be the better sprinter. So I opted to not this way. I'm going to look for Molly's Angel and ready to run away later in our season. So even though 6-4 is very likely to come in and pay about $2.10, uh, I'm going to try for 6-1 and see if Owen's Pleasure can't maybe use that recency and get the better of ready to run away who might need this one. 
Yeah, I thought Owens Pledger was really interesting in this spot. Angela, last question for you and Kevin uh, about this race, and we'll just go ahead and wrap up the show. Uh, the work the work tab is very interesting. When you look at Ready to Run, for both of the Robinson horses, when you look at Ready to Run Away, if you look at the bottom of the screen, I'll just go ahead and show all the works. And So if, if people can look carefully, Ready to Run Away is, has at least been on the work tab all the way back since April 9th. That's one, two, three, four, five, six works. Now, none of them are necessarily fast, but has a lot of works and steady works. And then you go to Clickbait, uh, and you look at the works of Clickbait, uh, only has three works on the tab, two very slow works, and then a bullet work, although there was only five horses that worked that day. Um, Angela, am I reading too much into it? Is it just uh, is ready to run away just a horse that needs more works, or is there any possibility maybe clickbait is the one that's going to need one here? I Well, that would be a good question for Mac. I doubt you get an answer, but at least from my history with the two, uh, I don't think click maybe she puts more into her work so she just doesn't need as many but sure. Kevin can also attest to this too with first timers at coming from this barn sometimes the less works the better it means that they picked up their list lessons very quickly they don't need a lot of tampering in the morning and they're ready to rock if you see a ton of works for a Mac horse sometimes it's not the best signal so I don't read too much into that I think that they've both proven what they can do in this setting off a layoff that that is so as long as they're both moving their legs in the morning, that's fine with me. I'm going to leave it up to him, and I'm going to stick with clickbait. Kevin, any any final thoughts based on Angela? So that that's great information for handicappers out there. Well, I'm with Angie on the less works. You know, Mac tends to go to the windows too to back his horses, and I think sometimes <laughs> a little smoke screen doesn't bother, bother Mac either. And the fact that he puts <laughs> Chirinos on uh, before Philly and, and puts the the, the gale on the sick. I, I just, Mac is that guy, right? And so the, the less works, the nice slow breezes, I think that all plays into being a regular at Canterbury and kind of knowing how this whole thing plays out. Mac knows. And I think he knows that his horse is going to be loose. And I, I, I just believe at this distance is better. I believe that ready to run away will be making bigger noise to Angie's point later in the season at probably a longer spot, uh, whether it's turf or dirt, she's got some versatility there. This is the spot for clickbait. I, I think she draws a race without any other speed. She's going to be loose on the front. And I think Cecily can can ration out those fractions and, and take them all the way. I don't think it's going to be a problem. If we can lock in on seven to five, I'd, I'd, I'd unload my uh, Preakness bankroll uh, right away tomorrow. I don't think we're going to get seven to five. We'll see. But um, something tells me it's going to be closer to even money or four to five. Yeah, I think I think she's going to be, be pretty low. We'll, we'll end tonight with a comment from Michael S., just wants to know if Barry's got any horses running tomorrow. That was a shame. Um, I know there's a lot of interesting Minnesota connections uh, with Zandon and some other horses in the Derby. Uh, were you guys at the trip? Were you guys at Canterbury for the Kentucky Derby? And what was the vibe like out there? Because I heard there was a little bit of an unusual uh, result. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, you go first. Were you there? I don't know. He wasn't there. He was on the road. He got the blues. I was in St. Louis um, watching uh, at my hotel with the Minnesota Wild, and uh, it was awesome to see those Minnesota horses. To answer the question, uh, Barry and Joni Butso have a horse right away in race one tomorrow night. And from talking to Jeff Bidet, he believes the one horse, Tour for Gold, number one in race one at eight to one, is Lone Speed. Now, Jeff and I had this argument today in the press box. I don't agree with Jeff, but he believes, he's bullish, that the one – Tomorrow on Wednesday at Canterbury, race one for the Butzos, 
uh, with those familiar silks from Zozo's in the Kentucky Derby is loose <laughs> on the lead with Bridgman at eight to one. Not not loose on the lead. I like come on sweet pea in the opener for for Harry Hernandez. Angela, who do you like in the opener? Me too. <laughs> just so we wrap up the show. I guess we all like somebody different. I kind of like Stars of Bluegrass. I know that oh, she's uh, okay. she might need a little help up front, but I don't mm. picture the one shaking loose from either the five no. or the four. I mean, especially I the five stretching out from sprints. I didn't think that she could shake loose. Yeah. If she does, she does. But I will say for who was asking about Barry and Joni's horses, in talking to Barry the other day, he did not mention to her for gold. He mentioned Astina in race number three. And, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here. I won't quote him directly. But if Astina did not win, he's just going to he's gonna open the doors or he's going to shut the doors, sorry, close up shop and maybe never enter another horse again. He's very confident. Wow. That Astina will at least crack Whoa. the top two, if not win. Wouldn't surprise me. Well, wow. She's outside. She's got speed. He's very confident <laughs> in Astina. You mentioned nothing about tour for gold. And I will say, uh, anyone looking for an update on Zozos, he's going to get a little break over the summer and he will be back in the fall. Nice horse. Well, let's hope that horse wins because we definitely want those fantastic owners running horses at Minnesota. Uh, Angela Herman and Kevin Gorg, it's been a real pleasure. I was looking forward to this night for quite a while. Kevin, it's great to talk to you for the first time on our podcast. Hopefully, I'm going to be up there next month for Misty Lake Derby Day. I've got to work some things out uh, with with Manjit and with Jeff. And I'd love to join you guys, you know, uh, in front of the fans pre-race to talk about those races. That's, That's the... At least my selfishly, that'd be my plan, but I have no idea if, if that's going to happen. I don't want to steal your guys' thunder or get in the way a, a, anyway at all, but I'd love to uh, uh, come up there and, and, and see you guys again. But it, whether I do or do not, good luck to everyone at Canterbury 2022. It's going to be a fantastic meet, very good racing, 10% takeout, ladies and gentlemen. It's the best takeout in the country. The quality is very underrated from the jockeys to the horses and Definitely the analysts are not underrated, that's for sure, because you guys are <laughs> awesome. Thanks for coming out. Look forward to having you guys on again, maybe to preview a big day at uh, Canterbury this year. That... I would come on any time. All right. Absolutely, Howard. Just a pleasure to be with you guys tonight. Hey, thanks, guys. Good luck this meet. Take care. Thanks for coming on. Have a great night. Thanks, guys. All right, that was that was Kevin Gorg and Angela Herman. Did a fantastic job. You can see them on the simulcast feed. Uh, Canterbury Park all meet long. It's been a great show. I hope you've enjoyed our preview of the 2022 Canterbury meet up in Shakopee, uh, Minnesota. Tomorrow night and Thursday night, we're going to be previewing two fantastic cards, Black Eyed Susan's Day and the Preakness, both at Pimlico, of course, for Friday and Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, both nights I'll have my uh, co-hosts, Paul Halloran, and Pete Visco. And Thursday, we're going to be joined by TVG's Caleb Keller is going to help us handicap as well. So please join us on both those nights, and we're going to have a fantastic time and get you some winners. This has been Howard Kravitz and episode 139 of the HHH Racing Podcast. Hope to see you again this week. Good luck at Canterbury Park. Take care, everyone. Have a great night.